Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Before we get started, would you help me thank our music team for leading us this morning. I think I underestimate how many Sundays I show up here not knowing that I need exactly what they're getting ready to lead us in. So I am thank you guys for leading us in what you do every week for us. Uh, the second thing that I feel the need to share with you is that um, you may not realize how big of a deal it is for a pastor of a church or a pastor of a campus to give up his opportunity to speak to someone else, to the people who he's called to lead, especially when he's not going to be out of town. <laughs> that, um, yeah, that Pastor Chris uh, has given me this opportunity this morning, uh, shares more than you know about the kind of leader he is and what he values. And Chris, I want to tell you, it is an honor to get to serve alongside of you and um, thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to be able to do this this morning. Amen. You can give it up for Chris, absolutely. So before I get any further and get into what we're going to talk about, I really just have to kind of ask this question that's been keeping me up at night, and I really need to know before I begin this conversation with you where everybody else in this room is at. And this question that I need you to answer by show of hands is, first off, how many of you find it to be a life-giving experience? You really enjoy the time that you spend driving on I-4. No hands? I feel much better about you all. Now, the second question, uh, a little bit of a different way of stating the first is, by show of hands, how many of you avoid driving on I-4 like the coronavirus? You, like, you resent every minute that you spend on there? Okay, good. We're going to be in a good place this morning then. So uh, now we can continue our conversation. Really this morning, I want to continue this conversation that we've been having in this series called Hashtag Blessed. And this series, this conversation we're talking about, comes from a grouping of Jesus' teachings in Matthew chapter 5. And in it, he's using these phrases, blessed are the person or the people who do, and then he describes a character trait. And as he's using that term, really the term blessed, what he's using, what he's describing, the picture that he's trying to paint in his language is really this idea of what type of people flourish. What does it mean for a person to truly flourish? And I think that that's really important because I think it's something that we really value. I mean, if if you were to ask each of us, we want our our lives to to be one of flourishing, right? We want our um, careers to flourish. We want our relationships to flourish. We want to flourish emotionally, right? I don't know if you've said this, but this has been a conversation between my wife and I at different times, and I think it's something that's really deep inside all of us. Uh, this desire and this feeling that we want to do more than just survive, we want to thrive. And yet, I find it a little bit ironic and a little bit troubling that 
despite the tens of thousands of books and articles and blogs and life coaches and counselors and therapists and medications that sometimes we consume built around this very topic, it seems that for the vast majority of people that this idea of a blessed and thriving life is as elusive as it's ever been. So that's really what we're talking about when we're having this conversation about hashtag blessed, right? This idea of of not just surviving, but thriving. And what Jesus is really talking about in these verses and in this phrase that we're going to read in just a moment is um, really the unexpected ways and places that we find what it is that we've really been searching our whole lives for. And it comes in places that we don't expect. And so uh, they're going to put it on the screen. The, the statement that we're looking at today comes out of Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 5. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And right away before I go any further, I, I think what we're going to have to do when we have this conversation is we're going to have to take this statement that Jesus says and say, we believe that's a really good statement. We believe that's a true statement. But just for a little while, we're going to have to set it to the side not put it away, just set it to the side for a moment, because there is so much misunderstanding and stigma around this term of meekness, right? I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if you're a guy, how likely it is that you want someone to describe you as being someone who's meek, right? How many of you want a leader who you're following to be meek? You don't. You want someone who's bold. How many of you who have employees who work for you are putting on the job description, the type of person I want to hire is a person who's meek? No. Because deep down, what we really believe is that meekness is weakness, right? And it rhymes, so it must be gospel truth, right? <laughs> Never met a thing that rhymed that wasn't true. Um, so we can't even begin there. I think we have to begin by talking about what is it that is really the opposite of meekness, and is that thing going to give us what it is that we want? And really, the opposite of meekness, despite what we kind of feel on the inside, the opposite of meekness really doesn't have anything to do with strength. It really doesn't have anything to do with, um, or much to do with, uh, another term that I've heard a lot of people talk about. It really doesn't have much to do with pride, even. Really, the opposite of meekness is self-marketing. And I know this to be true, and it's something that I think that, that we experience because this idea of self-marketing, this aversion to meekness is because we have been raised, we have been educated and socialized into this system that the entire world is built on around this idea of self-marketing. It's this idea, it's this perspective that I think deep down we all struggle with that is out there, this is what we're taught to believe, out there is, is what we want. It's satisfaction, it's peace, it's freedom, it's meaningfulness, it's contribution, it's making a difference, it's being loved, it's having all that we need, it's success. That's out there, but we are over here with a huge crowd of people who all want the same thing, and there's not enough to go around. So the only thing that we're left to do is to look at the crowds beside us and to jostle and posture and self-market and take initiative and be bold and be innovative and take the lead 
and assert ourselves to try to get to the front of the pack so that we can guarantee that we'll get what it is that we want most. That's what we're taught. That's how we're socialized. What I want to talk about today is the fact that we know, we know, especially those in this room, we know that our interstate system is absurd, <laughs> that it's a circus on wheels. But I want to talk about what I want to try to show us in this time, what I think God is trying to tell us is that the world's system of self-marketing is no less absurd, but we choose to wake up every day and act as though it's normal and follow its path trying to get what we want. We do this because deep down, I struggle with this too, but deep down we believe this lie. There's this lie that's sucking us into that and drawing us away from meekness, and the lie is that at the end of the day, you and I are responsible for our own success and happiness. And it drives every decision that we make, and it pulls us away from the truth that God is trying to teach us in this passage. So this morning, what I want to spend the next little bit of time doing is I want to give you what I think are two very strong reasons why, why we should, why we need to exit the I-4 of self-marketing and take the detour of meekness. And I know, um, even if you agree with me in the headspace and in the heart space, there's this tension. Some of you are skeptical of what I've said even up to this point because this is all fine and dandy when we're sitting in our church service on a Sunday morning, but the worlds that we go into are in, on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday are very different, and hey, we don't know what that life is like and how things work out there in the real world. And to those of you who are skeptical, I want to say you're in a safe place because I happen to be one of the most skeptical people that I know, and my wife would attest to that. She has great patience and grace. But I want to challenge you, if you're able, just, just in the space of your head, uncross your arms mentally, and, and if you can, just, just um, process this and think and ask the Holy Spirit, ask God to confirm in you and help work where this is at root in your own life over the next period of time. So, two reasons we should exit the I-4 self-marketing and take the detour of meekness. The first reason is that self-marketing promises success but it always disguises the cost. You know, Jesus was talking about cost, and I think it'll set us up for having this conversation well. And in Luke chapter 14, verse 28, he's talking about the idea of cost with his disciples and what it means to follow him. And he says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down and first deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. This reality of... of self-marketing of chasing success of failing to count the cost of the disguise of that was illustrated for me a couple months ago I was having lunch with 
one of the guys who attends our campus, a great guy, he's a successful lawyer, he's at a firm that's downtown, we were having lunch downtown, and we were walking back from lunch, actually, and I don't know how we got on this conversation, but we started talking about just how this plays out so clearly in the field and in the pr profession of being a lawyer, right? You, you have the, the law school that pushes you, and you have to grind there, and you have to study to pass the bar, and then you've got to pay your dues and show up early and stay late, and there's this out there that is becoming the partner of a firm, right, and having the success and influence that comes in that. And he was telling me, and fortunately this isn't his story, but, but he was telling me he's at the point now in his career where he's looking around at all of his peers, all of the people who are about his stage of life, maybe a little older, and they've gotten what they wanted, they're making partner at their firm. They're getting the influence. They're at the top of the heap. They're climbing the ladder. And he said, now that they've gotten there, they're looking up and looking around and realizing that their kids won't even speak with them. They're on such bad terms. And their marriage is a disaster, or they're on their second or third marriage already. And he was saying how painful that is for him to look around and see. What they didn't realize is that the world system of self-marketing, this driving and pushing and jockeying to the front, it promises you success, but it disguises the cost. Similarly, Andy Stanley has a quote. Um, it's going to be on the screens. He says, your talent and giftedness as a leader have the potential to take you farther than your character can sustain you. Self-marketing in the world system tells you all it tells you is how to maximize your talent and giftedness to get the most success you can. It never, when you're sucked into self-marketing, it never asks, and you never ask the question, what kind of person am I becoming in the process? And it's an important question to ask. Solomon, uh, some of his teachings are one of the wisest men to have ever lived, said it this way, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. It seems right. It seems like it's taking us where we want to go, but its end is the way to death. Now, I have to, I can't really talk about cost. I can't really talk about I-4 and use this analogy without showing you this picture. Uh, there's two pictures. The first one of the I-4 eyesore. How many of you are familiar with this abomination, right? It's, it's, the, it's the building that began in 2001 and still isn't finished. Every hurricane that comes through, it inspires memes to say, here, hurricane, we offer this as tribute. Please take this tower away from us. It's become such a fixture in Orlando culture that I think there's one more picture you can show. It has inspired um, Halloween costumes. And I think that won an award wherever it was. But this building itself points to the reality that it's, it's, it is crucial before we begin going down a road that we count the cost of what it's going to take to get us there. Here's what I would say about self-marketing. Uh, like I-4, self-marketing may get you where you think you want to go, but you probably won't like the shape that you're in when you get there. The second reason is the I-4 self-marketing, um, the I-4 of self-marketing robs you of your greatest 
impact. It robs you of your greatest impact. And I think there's no more story that I think better illustrates this than the life of, of two men that are contrasted in the Old Testament of the Bible, the First Testament of the history of the nation of Israel. And it plays itself out in the story of these two men whose names are Saul and David, right? And, and Saul, if you don't know, he was a king in Israel about 3,000 years ago. And he was the guy everybody would have picked to be king. He kind of, even the Bible sets him up almost as if he's the guy who is the prototype for this person who has self-marketed himself, who has positioned himself to be the ideal candidate. It says he was a good-looking guy. He was a head taller than the rest. He had all of the attributes that people wanted to see. He had um, in a king, and so he's named to be king, and he's the first king of this young nation, Israel. But we're going to see that the attitude that he used, the perspective that he took, the path that he chose in order to become king ultimately created some problems for him. I'm reading now out of 1 Samuel 13, 8 through uh, 14, these verses. And it says that he, being Saul, waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. Let me stop real quick. I need to give you some context. Um, what right now is happening is that Saul has just had a military victory, but now his forces are in a little bit of disarray, and he's trying to get them back together. But in the meantime, the, his enemy has begun stacking their troops. They've got 10 times what he does, and they're not very far away, and he thinks they're coming from him. But something that you never did as a king or a warrior in those days is go to battle without offering a sacrifice to the God that you served to help ensure your victory. It wasn't done. Right, but the other thing that wasn't done is that as a king, it was not the king's place to offer those sacrifices. That was the role of the prophet or the priest. It was inappropriate for a king to offer those sacrifices. So earlier, prior to this, Saul has had this conquest. He sees this enemy amassing forces, and he sends for the prophet and the priest, whose name is Samuel. He says, Samuel, come, please offer sacrifices so that we can be in favor with God, so that we can go on to victory in our military campaign. And Samuel says, that's great. I'll be there in seven days. So Saul waits, I imagine, rather impatiently and nervously for seven days. And on the seventh day, Samuel isn't there yet. And so Saul um, freaks out. Right, and, and here's where we're picking up the story again. So he sees that the people were scattering from him because they're getting nervous. And it says, verse 9, So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue the Lord has sought a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord 
commanded you. Now, I wish there's a lot that I think needs explaining in that passage, a lot of weird stuff, a lot of stuff that seems unfair, but for the sake of time, I just want you to not miss this. Ultimately, what Saul did was get nervous that the success he had was about to slip away. And rather than wait patiently and stay in his role, he over-asserted him, he over-asserted himself and tried to position and posture himself under his own control to receive the favor of God and, and protect the success that he had. He tried to self-market his position in his favor to guarantee his military success. And he lost his kingdom for it. Now, he's still king for a little while, but what happens in the next chapter is that the Samuel, the prophet, who says to Saul, your kingdom is being taken away, uh, goes into another town and finds a young boy who is pretty much the exact opposite of Saul. He's humble, he's meek, he's taking care of a sheep. He's taking care of sheep in his father's field. And Samuel anoints that guy to be king. And I think it's very telling that as soon as David is anointed king, he's a boy at this time, he doesn't do what most of us would expect, and he doesn't go on a coronation tour or an investiture uh, scene. He, he goes straight back, to the shield and, or straight back to the field and keeps watching his sheep. I think it says a lot about his character. But this same David, if you're, um, even if you're not familiar with church, you probably know the story of David and Goliath. This is the same David a couple chapters after he's anointed as king. He's still in the fields. His brothers go off to war. He goes there to take supplies to them, and he winds up killing the giant Goliath. He's the boy that killed the giant. After that, he gets the recognition of Saul, who's the king still at this point, and he winds up serving in Saul's court. But not only that, he ends up um, leading military campaigns on behalf of Saul, is so successful and gets so much favor from the people that they actually begin singing songs that say, Saul the king has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. Again, Saul gets anxious, and he tries to assert himself and protect his success, and so he hatches a plot to murder David. Someone tips David off, David goes on the run, and Saul begins hunting David, trying to kill him to protect his success. And we're going to pick up the story there in 1 Samuel chapter 24. We're reading in now, beginning in verse 1. It says, When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and afterward David's heart struck him, because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. So Saul, at every turn when he gets a bit nervous, asserts himself and grasps out to control what he thinks his ultimate success is. David 
in this scene, not only has the anointing from the prophet, the promise of God that he'll be king, he not only has the favor of the people, he not only has the skills, his own men are telling him, David, God has said, this is your time to do what you've been called and gifted to do. Reach out and take it. And David says, far be it from me, not like this. And what's interesting, Saul's perspective and way cost him his kingdom. For David, it took a little bit longer to become king, but his kingdom was established for all of eternity because Jesus came through his lineage and Jesus sits on the throne even now we know and believe. And so it's not just that, it's not that self-marketing, it's not that the way of meekness, the opposite of self-marketing won't get you where you want to go. It may just take a little longer. Saul got what he wanted quicker, but it cost him his greatest contribution in the long run. David, it took a little bit longer, but he got way more contribution. He got way more success and significance than what Saul did. It just looked a little different. You know, there's the saying, um, the reality that the shortest distance between two points may be a straight line, but that isn't always the most effective way to get there. Right? Uh, I know this. I live on the millennia side of town. Even when I leave here today, the way that I get home is I take the turnpike to I-4. I get off at Conroy, take that little right to Conroy, make a left on millennia, and our, the town home my wife and I have is on the other end of that. My GPS tells me that's the fastest way to get to where I want to go. It's the most effective way. And I know that is true about 80% of the time, right up until the first or second week of November when everybody's going to the mall to begin their holiday shopping. At that point, I know despite what my GPS tells me, the most effective way for me to get home ultimately is to go past the Conroy exit, go down to the next exit, come back around the back side and get to my townhome. Sometimes a way of self-marketing, even though it promises the quickest way to, where you watch, to, to get to where you want to be, it's not always the most effective or the most lasting. So, if that's what self-marketing is, meekness is the opposite of self-marketing. But meekness is not the opposite of strength. Meekness is force without ego. It's influence without posturing. See, meekness doesn't give up on making a big difference or being a strong leader. It just takes a different path to get there. This is illustrated for us um, later after the life of Jesus. There's a leader of the church named Paul. And he's writing a letter to a church, a gathering of believers, and he's trying to teach them how they ought to live their lives and how they ought to treat one another. And he writes these words out of Philippians. In chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, and you really can sub in the word meekness there, but in meekness count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What Paul is saying is the path to all things subjected under the feet of Jesus began with him emptying himself and not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped. And based on that reality, he says, so then, as people following Jesus take the same attitude and in meekness count others more significant than yourselves, what he's really saying and the way that we live this out, the way that this becomes possible is when we choose to serve. This is true because when we're stuck in the cycle of self-marketing, we're in competition with everyone around us. And it's impossible to serve because that involves helping out the people beside us. Right? When you choose to serve, it's saying, I'm going to take something that I, that I value, whether it's my time, my money, something that enables me to succeed, and I'm going to take that thing which I value and puts me closer to my success, and I'm going to use it to add value to the people around me. It's the very essence of what it means to be meek, is to serve. And so really, it's the people who serve, it's the people who are meek, are the people who have the most influence, the most power, the most difference-making capability, are those people. And I want you to watch a video for just a second of a, a guy who is one of the most influential, one of the most powerful, one of the most difference-making people who's here every weekend at this campus. Watch this, watch this video with me. Uh, so my name is Kevin Connell. Um, my wife is Elaine Connell. We have three children, uh, one out of college and two in college. Um, we've both served at the John Young campus for a number of years. We've been members there for probably 25, 26 years. Uh, for a number of years, we worked with kids um, before we had children and then when our children were young. Uh, we decided um, several years ago with my wife working at TFA Monday through Friday that she needed a break on the weekends so we, we got out of that and since that time we've really kind of been looking for something some other way to serve and so this was a new opportunity um, natural for her with with the children's uh, uh, service serving for me um, I am more of a task oriented type of person. My wife uh, knows everybody or, or is much more social than I am. I kind of stay in the background. Um, so coming out here in a smaller uh, environment and serving with a, a group of people uh, kind of forces me to meet more people. And so I've met more people and know more people in a year and a half at Horizons West than I probably ever knew personally at uh, John Young in 25 years. You know, I, I feel like I'm somewhat of an introvert and I don't um, socialize very well or very easily, but uh, I just seem to have a comfort zone here. And I think that because of the size of Horizons West that anybody could fit in 
there's so many different areas to serve and uh, there are plenty of ways that you can be helpful without having to be in the limelight. You know, the amount of time that I'm here, it really doesn't bother me at all. It's like the only day of the week that I serve the Lord. So how difficult is that? You know, I mean, we spend five days a week uh, working 40 or 50 or 60 hours, you know, to support our family and, and so forth. So one day is, you know, um, is, uh, it's, it's a day that I look forward to. So the first thing that you need to know is that Kevin is so angry with me for showing that video and making him do it in the first place. He's going to have words with me at the end of this. But you needed to see that because Kevin is one of the first people that's here every Sunday morning and he's one of the last people to leave. And except for the service in which he attends and worships with his wife, he spends just about every moment in our gym and in our preschool area making sure that the environment is right and serving and doing whatever he can to take as much burden off of those who are actually leading the small group time with the kids so that they can focus on creating those experiences where kids can hear at age-appropriate levels the good news of Jesus and respond to that. And even though Kevin leads with the meekness that's evidence in that video and leads with this servant heart, even though he's told me before, Reed, don't put me in the position of having leadership or authority of other people or telling other people what to do. Because of the way in which he leads with that meekness and serving, you know what is also true as I've watched it? Nothing happens in that gym without people saying, I first need to run this by Kevin. It's the way that which he leads, the impact that he has as he does that. Because of the way he serves and because of the environments that he helps create, there's a true sense in which every kid that we baptize is influenced by the environments that Kevin helps to create. He doesn't have less influence because he's around doing things when people aren't watching. His influence touches everything that happens in our kids' spaces and even into the moments that we get to have in this auditorium. So, this is where we're at. This is our challenge. This is what I think I've had to be saying, I've had to been saying to myself over this last week as I'm preparing what I think God wants us to have today. It's time for us, it's time for me, it's time for you to exit the I-4 of self-marketing, to take the detour of meekness using the vehicle of serving because this is the key to a life of thriving and making our greatest impact. Thank you so much. Pastor Chris, would you come up and share what our next steps are and how we need to walk out of this message? Thank you. Help me thank Reed. Great job, brother. Uh, and Reed, uh, those of you that know Reed, you know Reed also evidences this by, by oftentimes staying behind the scenes, uh, handling a lot of logistics, which I'm not great at. If you know me, you know that's true. He's good at it, um, and he does it with a willing heart and a, and a great servant's heart. So thank you, Reed, for doing that. And really, what an opportunity for us uh, as a church to, to, to rally around Horizon West Fest coming up on Saturday. What we talk about uh, serving with meekness, we talk about humility, we talk about engaging with people. This is one of the best opportunities that we have to do that. If you've got your card on your chair, would you just kind of hold it up where I can see it? I want to make sure everybody's got one. That's the information. Uh, but what I want to say to you is this. Uh, last year when we showed up at Horizon West Fest, they said, oh, hey, uh, we don't have people to do parking. 
and some of our people jumped in and started serving to do parking. There were other areas where our people stepped up and stepped in to serve to make that event possible. And we came away from that event with people going, man, Horizon West Church is full of people that are willing and ready to serve. And that's exactly what we want to be about as a church. This is the other thing it gives us opportunity to do. When we partner with the community, when we go out into our community and serve, it puts us around people who are not yet followers of Jesus. People who have not yet submitted and surrendered their lives to Christ. And earlier this year, we believe God gave us a vision to have a thousand gospel conversations. And one of the things that has to happen for us to get there is we've got to be around people that don't yet know the gospel. And I'm praying that even this weekend, this Saturday at Horizon West Fest, that there would be many gospel conversations happening. That we're not just a presence there visibly, but that we're engaging in conversations with people at the event. And so we want to invite you. Uh, for more information on that, we're going to put up a, a thing on the screen here. You can text a number, uh, text FEST to 40777. You can do that right now if you want, and then it's going to give you a prompt, and you can respond to that prompt that you're either going to attend or serve. Those are going to be the words that you're going to put in, either attend or serve. So start with FEST to 40777, and then it'll give you a prompt to respond to. We want at least 100 of our people there to serve, and I would love to see every single one of our people at the event serving, even if it's not in an official capacity, but being at the event, showing our community that we're for Horizon West this Saturday at Horizon West Fest. Reed, is there anything else I need to cover on that? Okay, logistics guy, I told you, I gotta check with him on that. All right, hey guys, one more time, help me thank Reed for leading us this morning, for, for bringing the word. Uh, we want to invite you to the back. Um, if, you look, if you're looking for an opportunity to serve, even on the weekend, you're going, man, I haven't yet found that place. Our connections area is the place to go. I'm going to go hang out at the back. Reed, you're going to be back there as well. And you can come see us. Again, if you're a first-time guest, get your Starbucks card. We love you. We'll see you next week. God bless you guys. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service times, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.